Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 8. Last week we looked at chapter 7. You see chapter 8, verse 1, first three words, now after this. So as we look at chapter 8, it's expressly communicating something that comes right after chapter 7, obviously, but not just that it comes after 7, but after this, meaning this wonderful conversation God had with David in chapter 7, right after this agreement that God has with David, this relationship that God has with David, these things happen in chapter 8. And I want us to think about the these things that are there. But before I get there, let me just ask you this. When did you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior? And what I'm trying to, to get you to do there is let's come up with a starting point of a relationship, a saving relationship with God. Now, some of you say, well, David, I've known Christ all my life. I can't remember a day without Christ. That's a wonderful and not less testimony that you've grown up in a Christian home and you were introduced to Christ so young you can't even remember the day. That's wonderful. But you have a season. You have a, a starting point. It's, it's during that season of life. Some of us who are older, we have a day because we were old enough to remember it. I know my day was a Thursday summer evening when I was a junior in high school. And I still look at that day and said, that's when it started for me. Well, this understanding that I needed to turn from my sin and embrace Christ is my only hope. Now, after you've got a starting point, I want to take one step further. Then at some point after that starting point, where you've entered into a saving relationship with Christ, you should come to this place where you evaluate that a little bit and say, what now? What happens after I've entered into this relationship where God promises to be my God and I promise to be his child? Where, what happens after that? What are my experience supposed to be? What, what am I supposed to be doing? And then I think we enter into what 2 Samuel 8 is dealing with after David has this clear starting point with God. God comes and enters into this covenant with him. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your family and he's going to do all these things. So after that, does anything change? Is there a relationship difference? And what we do find here is chapter 8 is devoted to that or dedicated to explaining stuff that happens after you've entered into that relationship. And there's three basic categories that happen. Number one, you get more power. Number two, you get more pennies. Some people don't say pennies anymore, but it works with my alliteration, okay? And then number three, it changes your pursuits, your, your perspectives. Said differently, it changes your might your money, and your ministry. And you see that play out in the life of David. And evaluate your life with me this morning as I evaluate mine. After Christ, can I see the difference in my might, my power? Can I see it in the way money is used and received? Can I see it in my pursuits or my ministry uh, towards others? And you should be able to see clear difference. Christ makes a difference every time. First of all, let's look at David's might from God. First six verses. 
It says, Now after this it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. Let me just clue you in. Let's so you don't miss this. The key word I want you to see is the word defeated or killed. Um, see, defeated, it's just, it's just a repeated word. So there in verse 1, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took control of the chief city. By the way, those of you who are in my discipleship class, here he's taking control. Philistines owned it until now. Taking control of the Jerusalem city. This is the beginning point of God's people owning Jerusalem and the city, building a temple, and it goes forward. And you get to <coughs> excuse me, Matthew 24, and God destroys the city and the temple. And there's reasons for all of that. And, but you see the beginning and the end, <clears throat> if you hang with me this morning. Second verse, he defeated, see, key word again. So he not only defeated the Philistines, verse 2, he defeated Moab. And he measured them with the line, making them lie down on the ground. He measured two lines to put to death and one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. I mean, that's great power. Just line up all your enemies and shoot two-thirds of them. Verse 3, then David defeated, again, key word, defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rahab, king of Zoab, as he went to restore his rule at the river, that's most likely the river Euphrates, the great river. Verse 4, David captured from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung the chariot horses, but reserved enough of them for a 100 chariots. And when the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobab, David killed 22,000 Arameans. So again, it's defeated, killed. Uh, verse 6, then David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and of the Arameans became servants of David, bringing tribute. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. Let's skip to verse 13. So David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans in the Valley of Salt. Verse 14. He put garrisons in Edom, and all of Edom he put garrisons. And all of the Edomites became servants of David, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. Well, no, no accident here. I mean, you can't keep defeating people time after time after time. You can't keep having victory after victory after victory if God's not in it. God is in this, and it's two times it's, it, it's referred to that God is helping David. The key word being David defeats. The key verse is really verse 6 and verse 14. The Lord helped David wherever he went. So what David is doing comes after this relationship with God. God is doing something in David's life, wasn't doing before. He's helping him take cities, take nations, take charge to defeat, to, to kill, to destroy. God is helping him, and he's helping him by giving him unbelievable power shouldn't be any re real different for us as believers having a relationship with Christ the God of all might the God of all power we have power I read to you at the beginning of the service Jesus says to his disciples stay until I give you power 
until you have power from on high. I want you to go forth in the ministry with power. Don't go without it. And in the same sense, God gives to David great power. Look at Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 20. Deuteronomy 8. Here's a little warning. God promised the power was coming. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you've eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power, and the strength of my hand made this great wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. And he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord. See, it sounds just like what happened with David. He said, I'm going to send you and I'm going to give you power. Now don't forget that it's me giving you the power. And you can subdue all things and you're going to get wealth. And we're going to see the wealth he gets in a minute, the money that comes as a result of this. But I want you to first of all see the power. So I'm going to give you power. Don't ever think at any point, you did this in your own strength. You didn't have this before the relationship with Christ. You had this after the relationship with Christ. And it's after this relationship, which is why you should remember, the power came from above. It didn't come from you. Don't get proud on me. Don't get haughty on me. Don't think, you know, you're just having a good day and all this is happening. Um, it reminds me also of Romans 8, a very popular verse. Put, put it in this context for me. Romans 8, 28, you know, and let me read some more of it. Romans 8, verse 28, the popular verse. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? In other words, I'm going to give, 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 give. I'm giving you power. If I've called you, I've begun this relationship with you that ends in glory. And because it ends in glory, I've given you the power to, to see that everything's going to work out. It's going to work together for good, we have a life infused with the Holy Spirit, with power. We're filled with Him so that 
all things, every conflict, trial, struggle, warfare, we see it's victorious. We have a life where it's from victory to victory to victory. How do you say that? I, would, I feel like I'm defeated. No, see, it's working together for good. That's a victory. If it always turns out for good, even though you, you've got this conflict, it's a victory. That's powerful to never really have a setback. You're always moving to glory. And that's Paul's point in Romans 8. He says, it's like this golden chain of salvation. If you have the, the first rung in the chain that God foreloves you, foreknows you, and he loves you. He says, you've got the last rung, and it can't be broken. Those he loves, he predestines. Those he predestines, he calls. He just keeps going till you're glorified. He says, that's powerful. He says, and, it, and the illustration he gives of that, he says, that's just a no-brainer. If I gave you Jesus, how would I not let you get all the way to glory? The beginning point of life in Christ takes you there. It's a guarantee. And so you should see a difference in your life just the sheer power of Christ's life in us. And David is seeing that after this covenant-keeping God keeps covenant with David. He begins to see this power come through him. It's interesting. I'd never heard of this principle until I got to seminary, but I had to take missions courses. And in missionary book after missionary book, they would describe this thing, this principle called redemption and lift. Sociologists recognized it, maybe first. Missionologists recognized it. That when you took the gospel, the good news of Christ, into a tribal region or into a city or to a nation, any place that did, just didn't seem to have much influence of Christ, you took Christ there and you started ministering, telling people about Christ, and people started getting saved, then you saw it again after again after again, that people got saved, redeemed, and then lifted. They were lifted morally. They were lifted socially. They were lifted economically. So the mission book starts saying, this is a no-brainer. It's redemption and lift. Every time Christ saves somebody, they have power. And they're lifted from where they are to a, to a next rung on the ladder, so to speak. It changes things. It does make a difference. And if a whole tribe experiences it, or a whole region experiences it, the whole region gets lifted. And you can, you can read case after case after case. It's, it's in every individual life that's in Christ. And King David began to see it in a very emphatic way. Here, we should be seeing it as well. Now... There'll be critics, you'll say, well, the people he defeated here in chapter 8, he's fighting again in chapter 10. Don't get confused by that. The book's not written to give you the chronology. Chapter 8 is not here telling you what the chronology is. Yes, he's fighting people in, in uh, verse 10. It's just good writing. Sometimes you tell the conclusion, then you back up and tell the story. Well, chapter 10 is going to tell us some of the story of some of these wars. But right now, he's showing you the impact of the covenant. After the covenant with God, one of the big impacts is this power to defeat again and again and again and again throughout life. That's his main point here in chapter 8. And he says, and in every defeat, you see, God is helping him. It's a God thing that God is 
with David and helping him wherever he goes. Well, that's true of us. I, you know, the main point here is extension. Um, if, if I were good at geography, I could help you with this maybe more. Verse 3, you see David defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rahab, king of Zobah. Well, if you look at your map, uh, well, it tells you, uh, and restored to the rule at, at the river. You can look at your map. If you can't find Zobah in there, you can find the Euphrates River. and You take the Euphrates River up to, the, to where it kind of pours into Israel, and you see it's, well, it's right up at the top. So if Jerusalem's right here, the river's up there, and then you get over to uh, verse 14, he put garrisons in Edom, in all of Edom. Well, if you, you always find the region of Edom in, in most maps. And this, Edom is where? It's way down here. So what he's saying is, again, after time after time after time, he's defeating people, and it's really extension. He's here in Jerusalem, and the kingdom just keeps growing all the way up to here and all the way down to here. This is David. First of all, he takes the middle. He takes Jerusalem, and then it just, boom. It's like again after time after time after time. There's this huge power um, has come into um, the people of God, and that's God in David making that. So one of the things that's clear, there's conflicts, conflict after conflict, but there's success. All right, let's relate it to us. I'm not telling you that Jesus is going to take away all your conflict. I'm not telling you Jesus is taking away all your struggles. Every day, you've got battles to engage in. You must battle sin. You must battle Satan. You must battle sinners. Those are all conflicts. What I'm saying is you had, you've always had conflicts. You will always have conflicts. In this, war, you will all, in this world, you will always have trouble. Jesus says, but thanks be to me, I, I have overcome the world. You can have power. And so for these conflicts, you can fight sin. And trust me, John Owen said it first, I think, but it's, you must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You have power in Christ to destroy sin. You have power in Christ to withstand the devil. It says if you will resist the devil, he will flee from you. You have power in Christ to be victorious in relationships with sinners. So yes, we have conflicts. Remember 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have power in you and that power in you is greater than anything else you're going to face you 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 can be victorious time and time again everything can work together for good because of the power you have in christ you see it illustrated in david i hope you see it in your life that you're seeing victory after victory in christ do you see that? Do you see how power you didn't have before? You know, when, when, when people come to me for counseling and say, you've got to help me. What's your problem? Well, you've got to help me with, with this anger. You've got to help me with this lust. You've got to help me from spending so much money. Or you, get, you know, it just goes on and on, whatever your conflicts are. You've got to help me with my husband. Help me with my wife. Help me with my kids. And I said, well, don't have any hope for you. They're like, 
What? Not until you receive Christ. See, everything you've described is you need power. You can't get the power without going to the source of power. Christ is the source. He promises me power. I've got the power. I can deal with those things because I have the Holy Spirit. And you've just described a non-Christian life to me. You've described a life with no power. Believers have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we experience the same conflicts, but we experience victory after victory after victory. Because Christ is our victor. So you're struggling with, with sin. You should be beginning to see he is your sanctification. He gives you power. To choose righteousness when you didn't have that power before. So you must depend upon him and watch him work. Watch him help you just as you watched him help David in victory after victory. You've got lust. You can say no to lust. You've got um, struggles with money. You can say no. You can budget. You can do that. You have power. You've got struggle with, with food. We have such a gluttonous nation. The people, I just can't not eat. Yeah, well, it's because you don't have power. Christians have power to say no to things. No, no I, I want, as, as Joel re- reading there, I want to present my body unto God, a living and holy sacrifice. And I have power to do so now. I can praise Him because He enables me. He helps me. And we're not, we're not seeing that near enough in the testimony. Here's a testimony from David Everywhere he went, everything he did, he was helped. He was empowered by God. Uh, so that should be a testimony of yours. It is a testimony of mine. You don't get sanctified just by hanging out. You get sanctified by engaging the conflict and depending upon Christ to help you. His word, his spirit helps you give you victory. And you pray for that victory and you see it over and over. You know, whatever your starting point with Christ is, your story, say, you know, tell me about your story. Tell me about your journey in Christ. I love asking that question. I love hearing the stories. The story should be about victory after victory after victory. This is where I was, and I felt so defeated and miserable. Christ took me here. And then I entered into a an, whole other realm, and I felt so defeated and miserable and wicked, and Christ took me here. And then it just keeps going. It's victory after victory, and all things keep working together for good until you're glorified. That's the Christian story. It's not saying you don't have the conflicts. It's not saying you, you're not real with, with struggles. But you begin to see you have a power in you that's greater than what you're facing. It's illustrated through the life of David. It's illustrated in this covenant we have with our God. All right, secondly, so we don't only have this might from God that the world doesn't have, but we got money for God and from God that the world doesn't see either. Um, I think I have to stop reading about verse 7. Verse 7, David took the shields of gold which were carried by the servants of Hadadezer, and he brought them to Jerusalem. Uh, what you see is he defeats Hadadezer, and he gets what well, keeps going from Beth to, 
uh, Barathai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took very large amount of bronze. So he takes gold, he takes silver, he takes bronze um, from Hadadezer. This is money he got in conquest. Verse 9, I love it. Now when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all of the army of Hadadezer, Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and had de- uh, and defeated him, for Hadadezer had been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. Now, what Toy is saying is, Whoa, David, you just defeated Hadadezer? And you took his gold, his silver, and his bronze? He's been literally kicking my butt all my life. If you beat him, here's my gold, here's my bronze, here's my silver. Toy just gives up. Is that what you want here? Take it. I'm not going to survive these conflicts. So he he just surrenders immediately, gives it all to him. David, verse 11, then King David also dedicated these to the Lord. So he's dedicated the others. He dedicates this to the Lord. Um, Silver and gold and bronze. He had dedicated from all, one more phrase, from all the nations which he had subdued. From Haram and Moab and the sons of Ammon and the Philistines and Amalek and the spoil of Hadadezer, son of Rub, king of Zoab. So not only these few conflicts it introduces, there were lots of conflicts. There were lots of nations. And every time David goes into these conflicts, he gets money. And he says, and he took the money and he dedicated it to the Lord. And I think, why did he do that? How did he know to do that? He understood from the beginning of his relationship that God was over all, that he needed to honor God. The first commandment, you worship him first have nothing else before you, that's where your honor goes. David understood the principle of stewardship. We have so much in the New Testament that we're stewards. Jesus' parable on the stewards, that you, you're giving back, you, that your master is coming at a time when you don't know the hour, so it wasn't yesterday. He's coming at a time you don't know the hour, and he requires you to be ready. Luke 11, Luke 12, these, these stories are found. And as you live your life you should live your life in readiness to always honor god and always give to god and david did that he says you know god's helping me every every dollar i get every breath i breathe it comes from god and i'm so i'm going to dedicate it and he dedicates it to the lord uh, all that he got uh from the lord it's this principle of stewardship he clearly understood um we understand it I don't think any of that's real news to you. Um, but do we practice it? Look at Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, clear demonstration of the kind of the stewardship principle. And Let me just share it with you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. A lot of times um, we read verse 5. I don't mind reading it, but that's not my point. Let's... Um, Proverbs 3 verse 5 says trust in the Lord with all your heart do not lean on your own understanding we get that verse 6 in all your ways acknowledge him that's the dedication acknowledge give back 
recognize he is the one helping you. And he, last part of our six, will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. See, don't be haughty on me here thinking you did it. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You're not going to outgive God. When you start giving to God, dedicating what he's given to you, you dedicate it back to him. He says, I'm just going to give you more. I'm going to bless you. Malachi says, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and just keep pouring out to you. And it says here, you know, the principle, verse 5, trust the Lord. And one of the ways we practice that trust in the Lord, acknowledging him in every way, is by giving to him money. Verse 9, you, you, you dedicate it back to him. You honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first fruits of your produce. If, uh, if, if, you, if you give me tomato seeds and say, hey, plant these in your garden, don't do that because I don't have a garden. Okay, but if you did that, and I'm growing tomatoes, I'm going to happily give you first fruits. Hey, I got a tomato. Can I give you one? You gave to me. I want, I want to honor you. you. You bless me. I want to bless you. If you loan me your car because mine's broken down and in the shop, and you loan me your car. When your car is broken down, you need my car. See, you bless me. I want to bless you. That's just natural. And God is saying, when, when I pour open the windows of heaven and I pour out on you, pour back. Recognize that and honor me from the wealth I'm given. David knew the principle. He lived the principle. He kept getting so much from God. He kept giving so much back that they record it. They know about it. Everybody says, you know, every time he gets stuff, he dedicates it to the Lord. Do we really practice that? I mean, we don't come before the Lord empty-handed. We come, Lord, I, I want to give you something. I think it's, I think it's you know, you, <clears throat> we're, we're seeing signs of genuine belief, faith in Christ. There's plenty of false signs out in the world. But I see genuine believers, and I see people who call themselves Christians, cultural Christians. Genuine believers, you see them as people with power. They were filled with the Spirit, and they go from victory to victory. They may have the most terrible conflicts, but they're lifted through them time after time after time. In the same way, genuine believers, you see them dedicated all back to God. Every time they get a lift, every time they receive, they give back. They're constantly wanting to honor God with their wealth that God has given them. When I don't see those things, power and giving, something is wrong with this picture. A person says they're Christians, I don't see the practice. See, these are natural parts of the Christian life. Um, and when you're not seeing this kind of fruit, it, it's telling you something's not genuine uh, here at all. Um, God clearly gives us money. He expects us to give back. And, and don't miss the fact, some of this, this money came through hard work, yes. Great conflicts. Like I said, we're getting this, this little summary of, of a battle and just the victory, like it's nothing. But we know this battle with, with, was serious sweat and blood, real blood. People are dying. 
And David's getting this great wealth, and he's giving great wealth back, some at great cost. So there's, there's, there's times where you have to earn what you received, and it's at great cost. I get that. You get that. But notice also in the story, even when you earn it, you give it to God, but there's sometimes you get it, and you didn't do anything for it. Like this toy guy shows up and says, you don't have to fight us here, we're just going to give it to you. Um, there's times when God does that, and you just you just sit back in amazement, and say, God, I didn't work for that, I didn't earn that, I didn't, I didn't do anything, and you bless me. I mean, think about some of the things you've received from God, you didn't do anything for it, not, not nothing. My wife didn't do anything for her husband. You know? I took one look at her, and I surrendered to him. I give you all right now. You know, there's things you you get for nothing. Some of you might not have wanted to get, but you get them. You know, and you just, just stand in amazement that God would, would do that sometimes. And other times, just, no, I want you to work. I want, I want you to plow through the conflict, but I'm going to help you, and I'm going to take you someplace that you're going to look back on and say, wow, you made it all work together for good. I didn't see that coming. But it happens time after time after time. What a wonderful God we have. He's there in our battles. And sometimes he just surprises us and gives us stuff without any battle at all. Then the third thing we see in this passage is just ministry in God. Uh, chapter 8 of Second Samuel, beginning at verse 15 to the end. So David reigned over all Israel. It's like, he just gave you a quick summary. And David's now reigning and he's resting. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Hidab, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. Um, Zariah was the secretary. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. This is just a, a record of David's cabinet. Now that he's king, he's fully established. He, he gets his sons together, his best friends together, all these people. He puts them in charge of stuff. And, and, and he says, and they, they all become ministers. And you, you think through the body of Christ, every time the Savior gets the sinner, the sinner becomes a servant. We're put into ministry. God doesn't save us and just leave us floundering with nothing to do. And the same thing in David's kingdom here. Everyone's given an assignment. They're given ministry to do. They minister. That's, that's God's way of employing the people he serves and saves. He saves us. He serves us. He gives us the spirit. He gives us gifts with the spirit so that we uh, do things. But don't, don't miss verse 15. And this David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. So he's, he's thinking of this entire people of God, and it's, I want to do the right thing for everybody. And one of the ways you do the right thing for everybody is, is you, you gift them and you enable them to, to minister. It reminded me of a passage in Deuteronomy 17 I read for you a few weeks ago. Let's go back there. Deuteronomy 17 uh, when you get a king, God said to do these things. But notice the blessings that, that
that come um, as a result. Deuteronomy 17, the last two verses, verse 19. It shall be with him, to speaking of the king, when you get him. It, it will be with him, what? The Bible. He's supposed to write his own copy of the Bible, verse 18. Verse 19, it will be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Now, don't miss the significance of that. So if you get a, a, a righteous king, speaking of David, who does right and justice for all the people, how does he do justice and righteousness for all the people? Well, what he does is he, he writes his own copy of the Bible. And then he starts reading it every day. He had to write it because he couldn't go to the store and buy one. He couldn't, you know, call up Amazon and say, hey, send me one. But he's got one now. He reads it every day. And as a result of staying with the Lord, engaged in God's word, and then wanting to apply God's word to all the people to do right, which is consistent with God's word, consistent with God's commandment, says everybody gets blessed. It says his sons get blessed. They live long lives. His kingdom gets blessed. And I've often said one of the best things you can do for your family, for you, for you, your family, your church, your nation, is you read the Bible every day. When you read the Bible every day, you start acting in such a way that's right and just with the people you talk to, you're engaged with. Oh, because God's Word is directing you in those daily pursuits. And if you deal with people rightly, which is what David was doing, everybody gets blessed. It blessed him, it blessed his family, it blessed his nation. His church, his nation were one and the same. Uh, it blesses us, and so see that. God wants to bless. This is how God blesses and like I say, it doesn't just bless us by hanging out. We've got to engage in the Word. First uh, Corinthians 12 is a great passage on us being gifted by the Holy Spirit for ministry. And you see that happening in David's life. He, he, he got it, uh, and he put everybody in charge of something. First Corinthians chapter 12. Let me just read a little bit of this for you. First Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts... But the same Spirit, there are a variety of ministries, same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now stop right there. Every one of us in Christ is filled with the Spirit. We're giving a gift, given a gift, and we're supposed to use this gift for somebody else. We're supposed to, like David, do righteousness and justice for all the people. So we use our ministry gift to help others out. And then the, the passage um, goes on that, uh, verse 17, if, if the whole body were an eye, uh, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members and one body. 
Um, verse 23, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow, bestow more abundant honor, and the, our less presentable members become much more presentable. In other words, use your gifts in such a way that nobody feels small, unimportant, or insignificant. The people you would have typically said before Christ, small person, small brain, small thinking, not worth much. If you would have said that before, now God has so gifted you that you can lift that person up. This redemption and lift happens as the church uses its gifts. Now you can sharpen that person so that no one ever feels small, insignificant, or unimportant. They all see the value of their ministry because you come alongside them and you share that with them. Your gift is to strengthen them, to encourage um, them. You know, thinking about sins we, we need to kill, you know, one of the sins we definitely need to kill is the use of our tongue. I encourage you a, way, a while back to memorize Ephesians 4.29, which says, No unwholesome word should come forth out of your mouth, but only such a word as gives grace. It's good for the edification of those who are hearing. You know, as you think about that, I turned on the Emmys last week. I could take it for about 10 minutes because it seemed like every sentence or every other sentence was some sort of put down to somebody else. And I thought, that is so weak. Weak people are, are people who are always putting down other people. Strong people, gifted people, empowered people are lifting people up. We use our gifts in such a way nobody feels small, insignificant, unimportant. We're, we're building them up. And I don't know about you, I just don't enjoy being around weak people. Like I said, I could just listen to it so long. I said, I don't, I don't enjoy this because I've been empowered and gifted to lift people. I don't, I don't like seeing anybody just constantly battering anybody else. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. It's, you know, are you there? You, you've been killing this sin in your own life to the point that you know, I just don't even like being around that anymore well those are principles we have as the church in ministry we see it played out in the life of david we see it played out in the life of every genuine believer over and over well back in second samuel 8 the conclusion of it all the summary verse 6 verse 14 the lord helped david wherever he went he was victorious time and time again because God helped him. He dedicated his money to the Lord. He worshiped and praised. He honored God with money, with resources, because he knew God was constantly blessing him. And he responded to all of these blessings by ministering, doing right for the people. It wasn't about himself. And the people were put in charge of ministries to do right and justice. For the people, and it happened over and over and over again. Um, you know, sometimes I, I, I uh, like you, I struggle, I get down, and wish I could be a better pastor or preacher for you. And then usually, you know, when when I'm in those 
uh, uh, depressing times that Satan usually reminds me of the great preachers around me, you know, and I'll run into somebody and say, uh, how, you, how you doing? What church are you going to now? And they tell me, I say, well, what, you like your preacher? Oh, I love my preacher. I say, really? Why? They say, oh, he's so entertaining, just week after week, just so funny. He says things, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I ain't got that. And I run into somebody else. Where are you going to church now? You like your preacher? Oh, I love my preacher. Really? Who is it? Oh, yeah, he's so tall and he's so handsome. He's so winsome. And I'm thinking, I ain't got that. But what I do have is the example of a godly life. Power from on high. Where God is at work in me. And what I do have is money for God. That God allows me week after week to dedicate to Him. And what I do have is ministry that's lifting people so they don't feel small, insignificant, or unimportant. That's, that's what you've got. That's the genuine life in Christ. Don't forget that. Praise be to God. That's what happens after covenant with God. Let's pray together. Fathers, we are so honored, so grateful that our lives change when you enter, when you save. Redemption's real. We can see the fruits of it week after week after week. And so we can see the faults. We can see time after time people with no power, no giving to you, no real worship, but no real significant ministry. It saddens us. Well, Lord, we ask that you would grant us the same extension of ministry and influence you gave David, that your church would grow that your people would, would see the, the wonder of effectiveness. And we're not just talking, Lord, about New Covenant. We're talking about the church of Christ in every nation, tribe, and tongue. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in deep conflict right now. And we ask that you would give them victory again today, just as yesterday. That your church would continue to grow until the number around the throne of God out numbers the grains of sand the stars in the sky lord build your church let the gates of hell not prevail against us grow us and let us ever always be rejoicing in you we ask in jesus name amen